RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 2, Episode 3, Star Trek Phase 2 Meeting, August 3rd, 1977. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Yes, once again, welcome Star Trek fans, Star Trek background fans, and of course, all you Trekophiles spelled with an F. We've got a wonderful document today, and we got a great guest back with us. Take a peek at this. Of course, you can check it out at uh, our The Trek Files page on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Trek Files. Read along with us. This one is a three-pager. It's a real piece of history on several levels, and some that might even raise an eyebrow or two or three, depending on your species. Um, take a listen, and then I'll be right back with today's guest. Roddenberry concerned over tailoring the script to fit Shatner and Nimoy would prefer to eliminate Nimoy totally. MDE very strong on necessity for having both actors in the film, too great a fan following worldwide, both are essential to the film, and we must sign them, even at unreasonable figures. Roddenberry disagreed, based on his experience, can almost promise us the excitement generated by the return of Star Trek with most of the original crew, aided by a publicity campaign to hype excitement over the new, different type of Vulcan, would cancel out any disappointment over Nimoy's absence. Uh, well, Truckophiles, there's one for you. <laughs> this is August 3rd, 1977. The Phase 2, as it, we call it now retroactively, the new television series of Star Trek for the would-have-been Paramount Television Network in 1977, 78, pitching stories, working on scripts. And this, if you notice on your hot copy at home, a meeting of apparently producers talking at the high levels of this project, getting it off the ground. It's been around for a few months, and my oh my, look at what Gene Roddenberry is saying. Let's get someone in here to talk about this with me. It's Dave Rossi, my good friend. Hey, Larry. Hey. Listen, Dave, you all know Dave. He was associate producer, associate of Rick Berman for ages, our, our liaison to licensing, and associate producer on Enterprise, and part of the wonderful team that brought us the remastered original series on Blu-ray. Dave, what a little gem from the dusty archives this is. Wow. What strikes you right off? Well, I mean, obviously, it's... <laughs> what leaped out at you first, Dave? <laughs> uh, the leaping tiger is the fact that uh, Gene Ronberry thinks that Leonard Nimoy is not essential for this to happen. Um, this first big revival of Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, what a bombshell. It, 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 speaks, to, um, it speaks to a lot of what's going on today in a weird way, but, I mean, we, we can get to that in a minute. But uh, yeah. uh, the fact that he would make that call, where, where do you think that came from? Um, look, they've had the early 70s. They've done the animated series. Gene's dealt with, Paramount's dealt with getting the cast back together, at least to voice the animated series. This is three, four years after that. Leonard's career has really taken off. Uh, Shatner's is there, but it's, I mean, he, it actually is not comp comparing to, to Leonard's. Leonard's doing a lot of really high-profile Broadway pieces, and um, 
<laughs> but you would you would also think though that based on the fan reaction to that character, well, certainly yes. well known at that point. Well, I, looking at looking at uh, you know two two uh, two sides of the equation here. On one hand, we've got Roddenberry thinking how it's going to be to produce a movie, write a script, and he says in the movie how hard it would be to write them both into the script. Well, they did it for three years. Right. <laughs> they conceived that's, the show that that's way. That's kind of the show. That's kind of the show. <laughs> and then you think about my gosh, I think this is a, this is a meeting, obviously a confidential meeting, and some more subtext of the whole. Phase two going into motion picture moment in a minute here we can talk about. But for Gene to say that, well, knowing knowing what where did the whole Star Trek revival come from? From conventions, from fans. I'm going backwards in time here. Conventions from fanzines, from all those fan fiction writers who were in love with sexy Spock, absolutely and the, the aloof seven year cycle and all of that. And so, but and, and here's another interesting uh, tidbit from the memo. Nardino has an offer into Nimoy, which includes the two-hour film, selected episodes, yes. and settlement of his lawsuit against us. So, um, obviously, that maybe that's part of what also fit into Gene's right. Gene's discomfort zone there. I, exactly. I think that was all about licensing, and um, yes. I think any actor in Star Trek in the beginning who had a high profile were always concerned that they were getting their fair share of what they were promised. Right, that's what true. They were contractually bound to. But what's also interesting in this, we tend to think, and it's the 70s, and Gene is on his way to speaking on colleges and the guruification of Gene a little bit, to be blunt. And uh, look at this lineup in this roster of folks, and you think Gene's in charge. Who gets the initials treatment in this memo? MBE. Right. <laughs> yes. Michael Eisner. Yeah. You know, there's no GR in this memo. These are minutes from this meeting. Uh, it's MBE all the way through for Michael Eisner, who's, who's calling the shots. And he's the guy with the purse strings, right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Gene is really, I think, at this point kind of on his way out as far as the studio is concerned, right? They're starting to have the, – there's a dawning realization that you don't really need Gene Ronberry at this point. I mean, really. Well, let's see. We, we've been through the motion picture mill twice by now. We had the animated series, but then things stepped up. His treatment that now we call the God thing went through the grinder, didn't make it. Then what became retro known as Planet of the Titans has been through the mill, went through riders. Not Gene's fault, but that, that's, that ship has sailed. They came back to saying, let's do this, this motion picture. Let's also note that August 3rd, 77, that the, uh, the Phase 2 series was announced in June, <laughs> right about the time of a little right. thing called Star Wars exploded in the heavens. So uh, there, there's all kinds of double thinking going on about what the strategy... Right, and you, the, have, yeah. and you have the creator of this series saying that a character, a, a beloved character, is not necessary, and the head of the studio coming back and saying, no, 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 dude, <laughs> you got to have this guy in here. I mean, that's... Uh, that's crazy in itself. It's usually the other way around. I was going to say the monolithic story is usually it's Gene defending the integrity of the series. Well, sure, it's a studio this saying this is too much money. He's going to cost too much money. Right. Which you know, I mean, we get, how can you change it? Put another pointed-eared guy in there. Who cares? You know, yep. that's usually how it goes. And here you have the opposite, which is, which is interesting. It also talks to how much Paramount was banking on this. Right. Well, I love the minutes here. MBE made a very strong uh, case for saying, "Hey, it's too great a fan base worldwide. We need them both." Okay, and and 
uh, MBE, Michael Eisner, is is throwing out the money. Oh, you know what? Uh, three million for the script, right? right. Uh, let's let's just let's do it th for the budget anyway. He's he is he's committed. He's committed. It's also interesting. It's almost like a prescient forebear that he's they're really wanting to launch the network, have this ready by February first. He he comes back to that because they're trying to sell the time. They're sure. Trying to, they're trying to have face and and present stability as a as a new network. And they're trying to make a solid date, February 1st, and it's already gene hedging here. We'd be kidding you if I didn't say we have some problems on a February 1st delivery. But we think we can overcome Come them. <laughs> so fast forward, oh, 18 months, <laughs> two years. Yeah, right. December 7th. It's got to be out December 7th, yeah, 79. Right. Right. Okay, we'll ship them wet. We'll ship them wet. Ship those We think wet. we can do it. We think we can do it. <laughs> yeah. We'll hire everybody in Hollywood and their brother and their dog catcher to you know finish the models for the movie. Right, exactly. We'll get it done. So, yes. Yeah, Nimoy had the settlement, had the lawsuit they're trying to settle. It's interesting, uh, and I wonder where Shatner fell into all of this. Or I wonder if he was mm -hmm. part of any of this discussion. Do you think Gene approached him and said, so look, Bill, we've got this idea. Are you interested in coming back? And, of course, it's, you know, there's the paycheck, so it's certainly, yeah, I'd like to. But I wonder if there was a conversation there. Is uh, Leonard coming back? About and, the triangulation, right. Right, right, right. You know, and what did Gene say? That was, that was, I would love to have been a fly on the wall during that conversation. Well, and Gary Nardino is saying, we've got to close the deal with Shatner first. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, because that's where chess comes into down. it. Don't right. Don't think we quite have the favored nation status clause here yet. So uh, there, there's, uh, they're talking about just having Nimoy in as a glance, just to say he's there, even two or three have days Have him come work. in, introduce a new character. Two, three, right, yes. yeah, right. And all that. And... Um, uh, yeah, it's they're reading uh, Gene the act here on why we on why we need to specify a date here. We have to we have to show that we're a real network, guys. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, and and there's a mention here of the models at Magic Camp. Um, what's really amazing to this, and and thanking Gar and Judy for this, and some of their uh, Gar and Judy Reeve Stevens and their book Phase Two for this era, their interview with Bob Goodwin, who's in this meeting, and was the line producer for Phase Two who's basically saying, now step back from all this, that the sales department at Paramount for their fledgling network had already decided they could not sell even a startup one night a week. It's the way Fox started. They right. came out with two nights a week, and then they, a year later they added a third until they had a whole full seven nights of original programming. programming. Right. Mm -hmm. And that they'd already determined that they couldn't sell and support yeah. a startup. And that the, the, uh, that the plug was already pulled on on this show before these guys in the meeting even knew, or some of them knew. MBE probably knew already. <laughs> right. And that they went on for three or four months purely on the corporate, um, avoiding the corporate specter, the corporate embarrassment of, of announcing a show. Right, you, don't, you can't have that. In July. Right, you don't want that publicity spin out there. No, no, but because uh, development on the show went on, they wound up spending a half million more or so on phase two's writing and the set building. Some of it got cannibalized for motion picture, but um, a lot of it was, a lot of it was redone. But yeah, just now, do you think, Larry, that Commander Sonak could have pulled it off? <laughs> <laughs> well, he could raise the eyebrow. Even if even if uh, Spock would have been there to introduce him, <laughs> I can't go, guys. This is my friend, Mister Sonak. Well, since poor David Gautreaux got to since Zahn got shipped off to Epsilon Nine and had his ears removed. We're going right. deep cut here a little bit, but uh, yeah, those murky flux. That's why you, you look at launching any series after a gap of Star Trek. It's a complicated thing with the fan base. 
that expects so much right. in, a, in a corporate world that expects so much from it finance, financially. Um, coming back for motion picture, coming back for Next Generation, coming back for the J.J. movies, sure. and then coming back for Discovery. I yeah. mean, that's what we, I've tried to be about. It's like, guys, whatever your critiques are, remember where they came from and that this is not unusual. Well, and that brings us now back to, to the fact that Roddenberry didn't want... I mean, think about that for a minute. So, <laughs> you know, we, you and I, come from the uh, Great Bird of the Galaxy phase, right, <laughs> where, you know, Gene was, uh, uh, he was the figurehead. He right. was the father of the of the, of the thing. So uh, whenever we would discuss it, if there was any kind of intimation that he wasn't going to be involved, we would all bristle, you know, as fans, right? What do you mean he's, Gene's not going to be involved? Gene's got, right. Gene has to say this, Gene, where, Gene, speak to us. You know, we had this, <laughs> we had this whole kind of Landrew thing going on, right? But... Um, uh, it's interesting today when you go online and now, now you have a, an entirely new fan base that is popping up because of not just the older shows, the, the, the Berman era shows, but now obviously Discovery and these announcements that CBS is going to be doing a lot more. And so these folks are coming on board and it's interesting to see the discourse because there's a, a, a lot of those folks who, who you know weren't even born when Gene died. Mm -hmm. They're just you know, they're looking at it objectively as this is, whatever you make today is Star Trek. It doesn't have to have Gene Roddenberry involved in it. It's its own perpetuating thing, and there are creative people involved. And so, you know, and they're absolutely right. And it, it, this is a perfect example of, you know, he was about to make a horrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, please proceed through all three pages of this memo because the last page is actually a um, a one page uh, a one page rough draft of in thy image, which actually had just been pitched just a couple of weeks before by Alan Dean Foster. Got everyone excited so much that the Phase Two producers came into this meeting and and, and Bob Goodwin pitched it to MBE to Michael Eisner. And he loved it immediately, and they all basically solidified the decision that it would be the pilot of the series, or a pilot that we would make if the series fell apart, we would pitch it to one of the existing networks to sell. And then, of course, it became the motion picture. But this, this wrap-up says it all. <laughs> By some brilliant quirk of the Vulcan thought processes, our new Vulcan saves the day, the Enterprise, and Gene Roddenberry's reputation. <laughs> Tongue in cheek. Yeah. Well, no matter that, what species that cheek is. That totally sums it up. <laughs> Dave, thanks for stopping by again today. We'll have to have you back again sometime Would soon. love to. Thank you so much. Yes, and everybody out there, I hope you've enjoyed this. Remember, that document is over at our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash The Trek Files. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek in Portal 47, that's me, at larrynemachek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.